is the calling of every person to discover how they can use all of they are, all that they are, all that they have to not only build their own lives on Jesus, but to help others build their lives on Jesus. And the question is, why? If, if no one's going to look after Paul, who ended up in prison, who is going to look after us? What about our dreams? What about what we want to accomplish? What about what we want to do? Who is going to look after those things? What did Paul know that so many Christians today refuse to understand? What is it that you and I refuse to understand? Why should we take Paul's example? Why should we follow in his footsteps and use all of our strength, all that we have, all that we are, to help others build their lives on Jesus? Let me show you. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In Him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental, the basic spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack 
any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You and I must work with all of our strength to build our lives in Christ and help others build their lives in Christ because only people connected to Jesus, only people who build their lives on Jesus are changed on the inside as well as the outside. It's not just their habits that change. It's their hearts that change as well. What does Christ give us? Well, Paul went into great detail, didn't he? He said, only Jesus changes our hearts. That's what he means when he talks about the circumcision not performed by human hands. And that would have been well known to any Jewish believers who knew some of the Old Testament, which was the Bible for them at the time. All they would have known was that there was this sign that was performed in Israel that said, we belong to God. But Paul knew and they knew that just because they had this outward sign that was a very personal sign, very intimate sign, very dramatic statement that we belong to God, that it doesn't change their motives. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament is full of stories of people going to the tabernacle, going to the temple, having their sins forgiven, and then as if they walk out of that, they return to a life where they just continue to sin. Their hearts are not changed. Their desires are not changed. Their motives are not changed. But in Jesus, we gain change, not just of our habits, but our hearts, because He gives us a circumcision of the heart. Our motives, our desires are changed. We have freedom to be changed. We have the power to live as God wants us to live. Our desires, they change. Our motives, they change. Our heart changes. That's what Jesus gives us. That's what Paul is saying here. What do religious observances give us? What do human traditions give us? They give us a tiered system that says, here's the people that are in by what they do, and here's the people that are out because they aren't as, you know, developed as we are. And what it creates is a caste system of self-righteousness. Do you know what a caste system is? It's countries around the world that have a caste system that says the place where you were born, if you were born into the the servant caste, the slave caste of our society, then you will always be a slave. Your kids will be a slave. Your grandkids will be a slave. You can never escape from this. You see this in uh, the idea of, of royalty, of, of royal families, where it doesn't matter on capability or skill or character, where those people are part of the royal family, they just are part of the royal family, and the only way you can get into the royal family is to, to marry in. But once you're in that royal family, you're in. You're there. You, you, you don't leave that. That's a caste system. And what caste systems do is say, here's the people at the top, and here's the people at the middle, and here's the people at the bottom, and here's all the other people in between. And everybody's jockeying for self-importance, self-righteousness. And those kinds of systems only make you look a certain way 
by outward appearance. It doesn't make you into a person of character, of integrity. It only makes you good on the outside, but on the inside, your motives do not change. You have not conquered sinful or selfish desires. The difference between the two of what Jesus offers and what human traditions offered, religious observances offer, one is compliance and the other one's conviction. Compliance is where we just try to leverage power over someone. Do this because I said so. Have your parents ever said that to you when you were growing up? Have uh, you ever used that as a parent? You didn't worry about what it was your kid was feeling about the task that you wanted them to do, the chore that they needed to accomplish. You just wanted it done. Why? Because I'm your dad. That's why. Because I'm your mother. That's why. Stop talking. Get working. If I hear another word from you, you're grounded. You want to add more to that? Keep talking. Let's go. Bring it on. We never said that in our home, by the way. I'm just, you know, that's what I've heard from other homes. Uh, but you know what I mean? That's what compliance is. And sometimes we want to do that. We just want people to comply. That's what religious observances do. Just do this. But conviction is different. Because it doesn't start with what you're doing. It starts with ourselves and it starts with the inside it starts with jesus's understanding that um you know a person with a plank in their own eye will never be able to help a person who has a speck in their eye so we need to deal with the plank so conviction is something that comes to us it's something that changes us and then when we deal with the plank what we realize when we come to that other person who has that little speck in their eye we feel you know what we're struggling together we're learning to walk in this together and there's grace and there's not this power dynamic but it's two equal people wanting to follow and be transformed together that's the difference the difference between christ and traditions is this christ makes you good. Traditions make you look good. So why on earth would we just want others to look good rather than be good? I feel like when we do that, when we just try to make people behave a certain way, have the right certain habits, we're not actually treating the cause. We're treating the symptom. Uh, my old church um, in Albany, a young woman once shared with me uh, her struggles with uh, a bad back, uh, some back pain that she had had. She had had it for years because she had been misdiagnosed. Got to journey with her during this time and to protect her identity. I don't know if anyone from my old church is even watching these days. Um, but let's call her Melissa, just straight up Melissa. That's not her name, but we'll call her Melissa. Melissa was a, just a gifted young leader, super, uh, just great family, um, you know, loved the Lord, and she served on our worship team, and one day she lifted the piano lid um, and heard a pop in her back. Uh, after standing for two hours to help lead a night of worship, she was just in agony. The next day, she crawled on her hands and knees to get to the bathroom. 
and she almost passed out along the way. Her husband said, we, we can't let, this is, no, you're clearly, like, we got to get you, uh, we got to get you to your doctor, and they, they made an appointment, and at primary care, they looked at her just one moment and said, you need to go to the hospital, and you need to get some imaging done. They phoned the ambulance and gave her morphine to help handle the ride. That's how much pain she was in. And as uh, Melissa, <laughs> it's funny, Melissa would, would tell me, you know what the thing about morphine is? It doesn't actually numb the pain. You just don't care about it. You feel every ache and pain, and you're like so gone and out there that it don't matter. I feel it, but I don't care. That's the kind of level of pain that she was dealing with. Now, she got to the ER, and she didn't have a great experience. Three different people came and said, what is it that happened to you? And she was trying to explain that I tried to lift the lid of a piano. And somehow that got translated to she tried to lift a piano. That she tried to move a piano. And she went home. <coughs> she went home diagnosed with muscle spasms. Well, they initially gave her some uh, medications to help with that, but it did nothing to control the pain. Uh, Melissa wonders if um, uh, they thought she was just a drug seeker faking pain to um, uh, get opioids. And uh, certainly it wasn't the case, but I understand the, the challenge that some of our ER professionals have to, to wrestle with in that context. She was given a further follow-up treatment to go to an orthopedic pain specialist who then sent her to a chiropractor, and that, that helped a little bit. Uh, a little bit of deep muscle tissue massage helped, given some additional opioids, not as strong as uh, morphine, uh, but a lot of muscle relaxants. And the thing that we watched over the years with Melissa was that the pain was manageable. She was one tough cookie. Uh, I don't think she let on all the time how much she was in pain. But in hindsight, uh, what she shared was that her quality of life was non-existent. She had a young child back then, couldn't play with them on the floor, couldn't exercise, couldn't stand for long periods of time, and she resigned herself to thinking, this is my life now. Well, you know the problem with muscle relaxants and opioids, right? Eventually, they wear off in their effectiveness if they're not actually treating the cause. They're only treating a symptom. And over years, seven in fact, her back continually got worse and worse and worse. And finally she said, enough is enough. What they have prescribed to me is not working. I want imaging. And they did an MRI. And it was discovered that what she didn't have was muscle spasms herniated of what started out as multiple appointments per, per week to once a week to every other week. The stress off of her back um, had dissipated. The stress from her back had dissipated. The herniated disc started to heal on its own. And now as I uh, still have contact with Melissa from time to time, um, her back is fine. And you know what the difference was? She realized that treating the symptoms was not enough. She needed to treat the actual problem.
And that woman lost seven years of her life. That when I think about it, I think, you know, what if? What if that had been diagnosed initially and correctly that this is what life is supposed to be? She was given something that didn't actually help her life. What are we doing when we're just asking people to change their behavior? We're giving them muscle relaxants. We're not giving them the cure for their herniated sin. Why do we want people to behave differently? You know, I think ultimately... I think that's because it makes life easier on us. When we want people to behave differently, who do we want them to behave like? Us. Because then life is easier. When other people think like us, if you could just be more like me, then everything would be easier, right? Because you automatically prioritize the things that I prioritize. You'd value the things I'd value. You should just change your behavior. It reduces our stress it makes us more comfortable and i think that's exactly what the church is focused on in our country today that all we are doing is focusing on let's make sure other people change their behavior and when we do that when we focus on we just need to be comfortable so we can live our lives we don't save the world we condemn it Our God-given agenda is to introduce people to Jesus, not make them shiny people. Not to polish them up. But it's to help them find Jesus because only Jesus can transform the heart, not just their habits. And the funny thing about personal transformation is that it's always a process, right? All of us are in process. I don't know why Christians expect other people to automatically change where we ourselves know that in our own story it takes time for us to process what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. I read a great quote, I think, that talks about the problem that we focus on in the church, and it's not even a current quote. It's actually a quote from D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a powerful pastor, planted uh, Moody Bible Chapel in Chicago, planted... uh, Uh, Moody Bible Institute, and this is something he said in one of his messages. Parents would think it a great calamity to have their children born dumb, mute, unable to talk. They would mourn over it and weep, and well, they might. But do you ever, did you ever think of the many dumb children God has? The churches are full of them. They never speak for Christ. They can talk about politics, art, and science. They can speak well enough and fast enough about the fashions of the day, but they have no voice for the Son of God. That's convicting, isn't it? That's convicting personally. There was a time in my life when I um, realized that I talked more about sports than I talked about my Savior. Um, I got more passionate about my teams 
than I did God's team. It was convicting. I do wonder. I think the reason why we focus so much on politics and focus so much on uh, the arts, focus so much on entertainment, focus so much on sports, education, is for selfish reasons, not for the Savior's reasons. Paul knew this. And Paul knew that he had to work with all of his strength because he knew what changes the world. Not changing someone's habit, but changing someone's heart. And he knew the only person who could change a heart was Jesus. Isn't that Paul's testimony? As he's riding to kill Christians under religious authority, he's been given a uh, subpoena in order to be able to do this. He's been given a warrant to execute them however he saw fit. He meets Jesus himself and his heart begins to change. And he becomes probably the greatest church planter that we see in the New Testament. He dedicated his life to the church. And I am convinced that if we are going to see our world change, our families change, our community change, then it's not up for us to wait for them to figure it out and say, okay, now I'm here, now I'm ready to become part of you. We must sacrifice like Paul did. We must work with all our strength to connect others to Jesus, to build their lives on Jesus, because only Jesus changes someone inside and out. That's how we change, that's how our community changes, that's how the world changes. That's the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So since we know there is no better solution to the problems of this world than helping others find and follow Jesus, let's do everything in our power to not just personally connect to Jesus, but help others connect to Jesus. Let's connect people to Him, not conform them to us. Serve the church because it's His church that you're serving. At Trinity, we have four methods of engagement that we ask all people who call Trinity home to get engaged with. Here they are. We ask regular attenders, we ask members to give and we expect them to give regularly, and generously, and joyfully, and sacrificially. Because together we can reach a world that we could not reach individually. And one of the ways that we can do that is to band our financial resources together to reach our community and to reach our world. That's why you hear stories of 90-year-old donors giving $25,000 checks to say, dream like we saw in our Dr. Stumbo video blog this morning. But there are people that the church can't reach, and you can. That's why we want all people to invite. Uh, Josh, maybe you could uh, switch to our iPhone view for a second so our online community can get a sense of the space we have. We've got room for guests. 
And you know who those guests are even more than we do. You've got relationships. You've got people that you know need Jesus. You've got people that you know that God is starting to stir something in their hearts and they don't have a place where they can hear the gospel. They don't have a place where they can come and experience the wonder of worship and the power of God in their midst. And you can change all that with a simple invitation. Why don't you join me at church? Well, I I can only get there online. No problem. Invite them to your place and watch together. Participate together. Don't just do it alone. I know you got to get up a little bit earlier and maybe straighten up on Saturday night and get out of the pajamas and get into regular clothes. Maybe you can have some lunch a little bit before. But there are people that God wants to reach and you're the only one that is positioned to reach them. What an opportunity. And it starts with a simple invite. Would you like to come to church with me on Sunday? So we give, we invite, and we group. We group because we know that we don't have it all together. We know that we are also a work in progress. We know that we are the people of the plank in our eye. That's a terrible t-shirt, by the way. I did think of like making up t-shirts that you could have that, but... um, We know that we are people that also need to be transformed. Our hearts need to be changed. Our motives, our desires need to be shaped and formed by God. And what a no better place than for us to experience that in the the context of God's family. As we walk together towards Jesus, as we grow in that caring community, that's what we want to experience. That's what we want to have as people who love us as Christ loved them. I love that. So we group up, and we group up in growth groups. We group up in affinity groups like men's groups and women's groups. And we group up in in Bible studies in any way because we don't just want information. We want transformation. And we don't just want transformation out there. We want it in us. So we group up and help each other. If you're not in a group, can I encourage you to get in a group? And begin to grow in a caring community. But also, and I think most specifically for today, we don't just give, we don't just invite, we don't just group up. We serve. God has gifted each and every one of us with a spiritual gift. And we need to use it so that we go further, faster together in our being transformed to be like Christ. I want to show you a resource, and I'm going to ask uh, Will and Minerva to hand out a resource that you're going to see on our screen. It's our Serve Others page on our website. I want to give everyone an opportunity to consider what our Serve Others is. It's really joining a ministry team. I think there are a number of ways to utilize your spiritual gifts, abilities, and willingness to serve here. And here's the key. When people combine with what God has called them to do, and they do it with a servant's heart, lives are changed. And whether you're involved in things you love to do and things you have to do, then God blesses you and others. So here's some things that you can get involved in. We've got Sunday morning things that you can get involved in. You've got our worship team. We need vocalists and musicians. We have our AV team, our tech team, which is sound, live streaming, our pro presenter. We're scrolling so fast it's gone. We've got uh, all sorts of ways that you can get connected that way. We've got our hospitality team with greeters, our coffee team, our ushers. We'd love to have ushers. 
Our TAC kids, our nursery. Currently, we have two uh, workers in TAC kids and no one in nursery. We run a sort of a uh, parental, here's a place where you can go. There's, it's a safe place, but the parents watch their own kids. Imagine people saying, I'll take your child. Relax, rest. And they do it, and the parent goes, okay, I trust you. <laughs> That'd be amazing. We want to have that to be able to minister to young families. And that's just on Sunday. That's an opportunity to serve while you're already here. There's also weekday opportunities where we have youth group reaching out to our students who, quite frankly, are very disconnected from God. The majority of our youth group come from difficult homes. And they need people in their lives who sacrifice their time on a weekday to say, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Our missions team. We've got a big world. We've got a big God. And maybe there's a step of faith that he's calling you to take to be on our missions team. Our buildings and grounds team. Don't you love it when you go to a beautiful home, a beautiful place, a beautiful restaurant? that they've prepared for guests, that feels welcoming and encouraging, that needs to be here so that nothing becomes a barrier with someone finding and following Jesus. And we need communications and office help. Last but not least, we have a prayer team, and that's actually a link that you can click. Our prayer team is a wonderful group of intercessors that we hold accountable to refuse to gossip and instead commit to pray on a weekly basis. We would love to have more people praying for our church family and for our church ministry. There's lots of ways you can serve. And that's what Paul dedicated his life to in the church, whatever it took to help guard people from believing hollow and deceptive philosophies. Things that only change the habit but not change the heart. I want to encourage each and every one of you, whether you're uh, participating online live or watching the, the VOD later uh, and in person, my, my encouragement would be is that if you were to take out your phone and fill out our Serve Others page right at this moment. But not everyone has a phone and not everyone has great signal in the room. So we gave you a piece of paper that shows exactly what's on there. What I want you to do is before you leave today, take that piece of paper and circle either where you are serving or where you would like to consider serving. Put your name and a way for us to contact you, phone, email, telegraph, smoke signal, we don't mind. We'll figure out how to connect. We think serving is so critical and not just beneficial for us as a church, but it's beneficial for the people who aren't in the church yet. God wants to use you to help others build their lives on Him. And there's no safer place to serve than in, with a group of people who are walking towards maturity in Christ together, who realize that the goal is not to change habits, but to change hearts. And the only person who can do that is Jesus. And to do that together. That is what I've committed my life to. 
and that is what I would do regardless of my paid position or not. As long as I have strength, I will serve God's church in whatever capacity I can. There's nothing like it. Why should we give all of our strength, work with all of our might to help people build their lives on Jesus? Because we know and we've experienced that only Jesus can change people from the inside and out. So who's with me? Who's ready not just to give their best, but give their all? Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We ask you to be speaking to each and every one of us as individuals, as families, and Lord, help us to not just give our best, but to give our all in service of our Savior. Lord, we want to help present people mature in Christ, trusting in Jesus only, taking that faith-filled risk, that dream that you have placed on their lives. We want to help that come to fruition, come to light. But that's going to mean changing some of our priorities, some of our financial plans, some of our, well, week-to-week scheduling. Lord, would you forgive us as a church and as individuals for times when we've settled for just changing people's habits? Would you forgive us for the times when we've talked more about politics than our Savior? Would you forgive us for the times we've talked more about sports and entertainment and the arts and our careers? They're all good things, but they can't hold a candle to the type of change that you want to bring into us and into the world. So, Lord, would you help us to step up, to give, to invite, to group, and to serve so that we can be a part of connecting people to Jesus and grow with them in a caring community because only you can change people from the inside out. Would you help us to take that step of faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.